0: Again, Mark chapter 6, verse 45, reading down to verse 15. It reads like this. And straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethesda while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. And listen to this, and he alone on the land, verse 48, and he saw them toiling, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. If I could get you to focus on anything, I would get you to focus on verse 48 where it says, And he saw them toiling. He saw them. He saw what they were going through. He saw the position that they were in in that moment in their life. And even though he saw them, he was the answer. If I were to entitle this message anything, Calvary, I would call it the God that sees and knows. The God that sees and knows. If you could put your Bibles down and let's pray and ask that God would speak to us Today, let's pray, Jesus. I ask God today that you would speak clearly and directly, Lord God, to each and every one of our hearts. It doesn't matter what anyone is going through, whether in this building or if they're watching online. It doesn't matter the location. You see exactly where we are. And God, you are the answer. We thank you, God, for all that you're going to do in this service and in our lives, in Jesus' name we pray. Let somebody say amen. Clap your hands to the Lord, you may be seated. Well, I will tell you years ago as I was a young evangelist coming out of Bible college, I I had a chance to go go and preach for a gentleman who was a pastor in Columbus, Ohio. At that time, his assistant pastor was my very good friend, Josh Sandy. And uh, Josh had told me about how the pastor had this big giant pontoon boat. He had this pontoon boat; it was 24 foot, I believe. And he had taken the men out, the men of his church, out to go fishing. But one of the things he told me about, you know, this experience, he said, you know, he said Lawrence, uh, he said, when we went out there, the most craziest thing happened. He said the bo- boat broke down in the middle of the water. He said it broke down in the middle of the water. And he was like, We 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 managed to get back somehow, some way, if I have the story correctly. He said the boat all of a sudden started back up, and we were able to turn it on and keep on going. And so here it is, I'm preaching this four-day revival. And all of a sudden, Pastor, I'm done. I'm spit. You know how it is. You're, you're spent. You know, it's late at night, and I'm just like, I just want to go back to my hotel room, and I just want to lay in my bed, and I just want to go to sleep, just like some of our young people feel right after camp. (laughs) You know, you're spent, you're tired, you've been in church. I got a witness right there. You just want to go back, and you want to go to sleep, until the pastor comes to me right as I step off the platform, and I walk into his office. He goes, hey, hey. You want to go night fishing? <laughs> and in my heart, I'm like, I'm, I'm the guest. You just don't, it's a pastor. You just don't turn them down. I'm like, no, I don't want to go fishing because I know your boat, it doesn't work. But I, I, I couldn't say anything like that. My mama taught me well. She was like, when you go over somebody's house, you conduct yourself with some manners and you take whatever they give you. And I'm like, okay. I was like, yeah, pastor, I'll, I'll, I'll go f- fishing with you. And so he rang on myself and the assistant pastor. And all of a sudden it was about 11 o'clock at night. We got on the boat and we begin to, as you call or say, hoist out into the darkness. What I found out was this lake was bigger than Lake Monroe somehow. And my mind, as I'm watching the dock. Fade away from the distance. My mind is saying, Lord. Lord, you know? I'm like, Lord, you know? And we keep going and going, and I see this in my mind. I'm calculating the way out of this thing, just in case, you know how it is. Just in case if something goes wrong, you always have a plan B, right? Right? So I had this plan B, I was like, you know, let me look around and see if there's any boats nearby. I was like, oh, there's a light right there. Somebody is nearby, and he keeps going and going and going. And all of a sudden, the light begins to fade until it got to the point that you cannot see the light anymore. And I said, Lord, you know. Finally, we get to our spot, and it's beautiful, actually. There's a little bit of light. There is like this lodge that you can see. We've got close enough where there's a lodge that you can see in the distance. It's lit up. And I'm like, okay, just in case if anything happens, if anybody walks out, you know, from that lodge, I'm just going to scream and yell for help. And so uh, we're like, we're in this great spot, and we're fishing, and I'm telling you, David, we catch nothing. We had been there for hours, Brother Faulkner, Nothing. And so, just like if any fisherman knows, if you're not catching anything, what do you do? You begin to go to a different area until he sticks the key in a boat. I hear, I'm just like, Holy Ghost. It's like, Lord, please, please, God. No, not now, not now. Do, 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 do. Does not work. We we call we called the guy's wife. We called Brother Josh Andy's wife to see if she can help us. She 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 couldn't help us. She was asleep. She wouldn't answer the phone. We tried texting. We tried everything we could. We tried calling and and every here's the craziest thing, the pastor's phone dies. Then my friend Josh's phone dies. And all of a sudden, it gets to the point and it gets really, really, really sketchy. I've got like two bars left on my phone. And I'm like, Lord, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, the pastor, the man of God, he looks at me and he says, You know what, guys? I've got oars. He says, I've got oars. He says, go over there and look for that oar. You grab one and you grab one. And I, I'm just like, okay, the man of God, he's the pastor. I'm here at this church, whatever. I'm just going to go do it. So we go looking and we find one oar. And we didn't find anything else. And so it's getting real bad. And all of a sudden the pastor goes, I've got a broom, I've got a broom. <laughs> guess who got the oar and guess who got the broom? I'm, I'm with the broom. And so the pastor is saying stroke, guys, stroke. And so Brother Sandy, he's on that side and, and myself, I'm on this side. And we're just, we're young preachers. You know, we're just fresh out of Bible college and we're just rowing. And you know, at this time, you know, back in the day out of Bible college, you know, I, I was not all of 300 and something pounds of glory. I had some type of muscle capacity back then. I, and in my mind, I'm thinking that, you know what? I, we could do this. You know, the shore is just over there, you know, just, it's about a good 100 yards away. I, I, we, we got this, and so, you see that young, arrogant, see young guys, watch out. I was like, I got this. I'm stroking. And all of a sudden you hear, and rain is starting to come down. And the wind starts to blow. And I'm, stro- I'm stroking as hard as I can, and I'm rowing as hard as I can. I'm rowing, Sister Collins, to the point that my muscles are starting to burn. And at, at, at some point, I just had to stop because I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. I'm worn out. My body can't handle this. I know that I, back then I was able to bend some weight, but at that time, my body, physical body, could not handle the situation. Why? It's because the wind was contrary. The wind began to push against us. And here's the craziest thing, Brother Lopez. As we were rowing, every once in a while, I would look at the shore to find a marker. And I was, as I was rowing, I was like, okay, we're right there. You guys know how it is. I'm right there, and all of a sudden, I realize when I look at my marker, we're not any closer to my destination, but I realize that we're further Away from it. I realized in my own strength that I could try all I could. I can toil all night long. But because of the wind. The wind was contrary. The wind was fighting against us. And so that's where we find the disciples at this time. The scripture says that all of a sudden, in the, as they got into the midst of the sea, that they found themselves toiling. They found themselves rowing. They found themselves in the middle of a storm that they realized was something that was bigger than them. When you and I begin to go and look at what the word toiling means, I'll tell you what it means. In Greek, it means this. It means torture, and it means pain, and it means torment, and it means to be tossed back and forth. What you have to understand, what the disciples were in in that moment was they found themselves in a moment in time where they were being tossed back and forth because of what life was dishing out to them at that time. They found themselves not in a place where they were comfortable, but it was a place where it was challenging. And they found themselves in a place where they were in anguish, or how can I say, in torture. But it didn't stop there for them. The scripture said that, like I just said, that they were rowing these fishermen. Let's think about it. These were fishermen. These were professionals. Fishermen, no, they weren't the fishermen in Bassmaster's Classic. But they were fishermen. They were professionals. And nine times out of ten, that meant that they had been through a storm like this before. So what that meant was this, and they were, how can I say, they had bought the T-shirt before. They, they, they were supposed to know what to do in a time like this. But what they found was even though they tried to use their own intellect and they tried to use their own strength, they realized that they could not get out of the situation by themselves. Maybe there may be somebody in this room, you're going through a situation, a storm where you're feeling like life is tossing you back and forth. I'm going to tell you college students and I'm going to tell you people who are leaving college and you're graduating and you're going into the workplace. There is going to come a time in your life where you're going to feel like you're you're toiling or you're going to feel like you're rowing. And, and, and it's going to seem like life is going to cause you pain and it's going to seem like life is not going to stop you. You're going to try everything that you know to do and you realize that you by yourself cannot get out of the situation. Come on, somebody help me. Somebody in this room, maybe it's your marriage, and maybe it's dealing with your children right now. You've been toiling for some years in prayer. Maybe it's something upon your job, and maybe your job right now doesn't seem like it's working out, and you're just toiling, and it feels like it's torturous, and it feels like you're in pain, and you're trying all you can do to get to the situation. I want to tell you, there comes a time in your life that when you've tried all that you can, It comes to a point where you you just can't do it on your own. You just can't do it on your own. That's why in the scripture, if you and I begin to go and read, you and I will find out that at some point that when they realize that they couldn't do it and all of a sudden they saw what they thought was a spirit, they begin to cry out. And Jesus begins to come into their situation. Jesus begins to step out on the same thing that was giving them problems and giving them trouble. And when he began to step on the scene, all of a sudden the winds begin to cease. All of a sudden the waves begin to stop. I want to tell somebody in this house today, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. I'm going to tell you, when you come to the end of yourself, at some point you and I have to look up the hills from which cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord. He's the only one that can get you through. He's the only thing that can get your marriage through, that can get your children through, that can get you through your hard time on your job. He's the only one that can speak to the wind and say, wind, stop. He's the only thing that can speak to the anxiety in your life and say, if I can just touch you one time, I can can cause it to stop. He's the only thing in life that if you find yourself depressed and you find yourself overwhelmed in life, that when you come to him and you look to him and you call upon his name, that he can speak a word just one time. Come on, somebody look at your neighbor and say, just one time. He can speak one time. And all of a sudden all will cease. All right. What a mighty God we serve. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he said it, I believe in Matthew chapter 28. He said, "Lo, I'm with you always. Even until the end of the world, Amen. Why well, it's because young people may tell you this: We may be smart, and we may have a lot of energy winston, but there comes a time in your life. Well, you can't do it. You and I have to call on God and allow God to come into the situation. He said, Lo, I am with you always. Casey, he's saying, I'm with you always. No matter what you go through in life, no matter what you've been through and what you're about to go through as a teenager, he's going to be with you Always. You know what, there have been plenty of times in my life, Pastor, that, you know, I was hungry. There's been plenty of times that I, I've been hungry, and I have been I was at my home with my mom. And you know what? There was plenty of times that my stomach kept on being hungry, even though my mom was in the same building as me. She could be in the same apartment or the same room as me as a kid, and I could be hungry. And you know what? Because I never expressed or I didn't call on her. I never received, how can I say, that nourishment that I needed at that time. But I'm going to tell you, the moment, Brother Wolf, is when I say, Mom, I look up at her. You know how it is. Mom, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. That's the moment when mom just comes unglued and says, okay, babe, well, what, what do you need to eat? That's kind of how my wife is when Corbin is just like, he, he is a never-ending pet. That boy can eat. I think he's got a hollow toe or something like that. That boy can eat. And he looks at my wife every once in a while because with him, he... he he feels it all the time. I, I'm, I'm hungry. And, then, and he, he, all of a sudden he goes, he says, mom, I, mom, I, I, I'm hungry. He, because he can see her right there. He goes, mom, I, I'm hungry. And you know what mom will do or dad will do? Like a good parent. Oh, okay. I'll give it to you. I'll feed you. I love it how my mom used to say it, A closed mouth never gets fed. A closed mouth can never be fed. Even if you have your mom or your dad, or how can I say this? You can have Jesus in a building like this, but until somebody calls out, Heavenly Father, I I need you. Heavenly Father, I need you. Until you call out. you'll still stay empty. I don't know about somebody in this place right now. I'm hungry for God. Come on, can somebody just raise your hand? Are you hungry for God? If that's you, why don't you lift up your hands right now to heaven and let's begin to call on his name right now. Let's begin to receive from the master's table. Lord, I love you. God, I would never want to close my mouth, God. I don't ever want to, Lord Jesus. Allow a service to come, Lord God, and for you to pass me by, Lord God, without saying, God, feed me, Jesus. He said, "Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. But he also said something like this, I believe. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He says in John chapter 14, verse 18. He said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Why? Because he's our heavenly father. And he sees exactly what you and I are going through. Can you imagine what the disciples were going through in that moment if you begin to read the scripture? If you begin to read very carefully, it said that, it showed that, the disciples were in the ship all by themselves, and it said that the Lord was alone on the land. Can you imagine what the disciples were feeling in that moment as they're rowing and toiling? Sometimes, how we feel, probably. God, where are you? He had just gotten finished doing the miracle of the loaves, and then God says, Jesus, constrains them to go to the other side. He says, go to the other side. He said, go, and they get into the ship, and he begins to depart. And the disciples find themselves in the ship, like it says in verse 47, all along. And they're rowing. Where's Jesus? There's been plenty of times in my life where I've asked that question, where's Jesus? Where are you? I'm going through the storm, I'm hurting, but where are you? And sometimes I ask myself the question or I ask God this question. Is God really here? Does he really hear me? Does he really see what I'm going through? And maybe some of you may be there right now, whether under the sound of my voice or maybe, you know, you're tuning in. Is is God really here? Does God see and does he know exactly what I'm going through? And the, and the answer to your, to your question is yes. Because if you and I go back to verse 47, it says this, and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land, verse 48, and he saw them toiling. Jesus stood on the mountaintop. Watching them go through their situation. Watching them toil. Watching them go through their struggle. Does God know exactly what I'm going through? Does he see, does he know? I'll tell you yes. Even sometimes when you and I can't see him. He's always working in a place on our behalf for us. Alexandra, come here. Great young lady. Have a great calling of God upon her life. going to do great things. But I bet you there's been some times in your life where you've probably felt like, God, where are you at? Lord God, I can't see you. But you close your eyes. Okay? Now, I'm not going to play a prank like probably like your brother would do. All right, put your arm out. Hold on to my shoulder. Follow me. You see, sometimes in life, we can feel God. And we're interested in what he's doing. And sometimes it seems like he's, we can't see him, but we can still feel him, right? But then sometimes in life, probably what the disciples were going through was something like this. Now walk. Trust me. You trust me. You're doing great. You know why she's probably, probably really, really confident right now you can stop is because she can hear my voice. And again, she trusts me as her youth pastor. She trusts the words that I'm saying, why? Because she, she knows me, she's, she's been around me long enough, but also at the same time, she can hear me. But what happens when God does something like this? Now just walk. What happens when God doesn't say a word? but you just sometimes you feel just a nudge not to go in that direction. Maybe not that job. Don't take that opportunity. Maybe not that school. That you, not that school. You just feel a nudge. You don't really hear. Or maybe a scripture comes to you. Or maybe every once in a while you can turn around. Maybe every once in a while you know you know that youth pastor or that, you know, that pastor or maybe when pastor's preaching or maybe when, you know, somebody you just don't really know in the church just comes up to you you can keep on walking just says, you know what, god, God's god got plans for you. It's going to be all right. A little nudge. Just before sometimes you can't see and maybe you're about to stumble, Oh, but that, that nudge begins to guide you in the right direction. I'm going to tell you, folks, sometimes you and I can't see. We can't see God. And there comes a time where sometimes we just can't feel God. There comes a time when we say, you just can't hear God. But it doesn't mean, folks, that we just give up and we throw them in the towel. This is the thing that you have to understand and I have to understand. When you're going through your, your roughest time in your life and it feels like, you know, has God left me? Has God abandoned me? I always remember this. Alexandra, keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. Stand right there. <laughs> Can she see me? No. Can I see her? Yes. Is she nearby me? She's not that close, but I'm close enough to her that if anything ever happens, I can run exactly to where she's at and go and help her out. I'm going to tell you, folks, sometimes dealing with God, you may not be able to see God. You may not be able to see God working in your life. You may not even be able to hear God working and what God is up to, but the only thing that you can rest in is this, just like the disciples later on. The only thing that you and I can rest in is, even though I can't see them, he can see me. You need to understand this one thing, when you can't see God, you need to relax and have faith and trust that God can see me. You know why? Because going back to the story with the disciples, at the right time, when he saw that they were struggling and toiling, even though they could not see him, God was like, okay, that's enough. That's that's enough of the darkness. That's enough of this trial. That's enough of the situation. That's enough of the pain. That's enough of the struggle. All of a sudden, God began to walk right over to where they were at. And I want to tell somebody today, if you're struggling and you can't feel God and you can't see God and you feel like you're grappling, you're like, God, where are you at? I'm going to tell you, God is close enough to you where he can run and get to you and get you out of the situation when he's ready. When he is ready. Thank you. You can be seated. I need you guys to bring my chairs out. I'm running as fast as I can to this closing because I felt this for for the past few days. I've been toiling in my heart. God, God, why why this? Why this? This sermon. Put it right out there in the front. Right there. I asked asked the text the question, and I asked God the question, why this storm? Brother Chris, I need you to stand up here. Kane, I need you to stand right there. I need you to stand right there or sit right there. I need you to go sit right here. I need you to go sit right there in the back. Awesome. Have a seat in the front. You just stay right there. You have to understand this situation. Why in the world would God allow the disciples to go through a storm like this? I understand this one thing, Brother Roman, that I believe, even though the Scripture isn't exactly clear, I believe the the text begins to give us an answer. It all has to deal with, go ahead, stand up there. It all has to deal with this storm. You see, if you and I are very careful when we begin to read, you and I will understand this storm that these guys are in. Here, take that. These storms that these guys are in right now, it is a pivotal storm. that it's a storm like no other storm like I just told you these are fishermen and they should know how to get out of this brother brother Robert but they cannot because the wind is contrary and so what is going on in this point it, they're not only experiencing a storm, but here's the craziest part about it. If you and I begin to study, they begin to row, and they begin to fight through this storm, from, I believe, from midday all the way to the fourth watch of the night, which is probably, if you go and research, 3 a.m. in the morning. So that's about a seven-hour span. Now I want you guys to row. To, they rowed. I need you to row. Come, come on, help me out. Help me out. Help me out. Row, I need you to row. He doggy paddling over there. Oh my word, he's, he's, he's rowing. So they're rowing all night long. But here's the crazy... oh my help oh y'all my. We got to go have rowing classes pastor rowing classes. <laughs> but they're rowing the best way they can. From about midday all the way to about three o'clock in the morning, keep rowing. But here's the craziest thing that I I realized when you begin to search the text and begin to talk about that they found themselves in the midst of the sea. What is the midst of the sea? The midst of the sea is not quite back at the beginning when you started your journey, but it also at the same time is not the finish line. So what does that tell us? That tells us this, that there's an opportunity to say, you know what? If I'm not back at the beginning and I'm definitely not at my goal at the finish line, maybe I should just turn back. They had an opportunity. Think about that. The wind is contrary. It's pushing them. The wind is pushing them. Or let me put it like this. Jesus said, go to Bethesda. He gave them a word and said, I want you to go. But this is what they're feeling against the word. The wind is pushing them. And so if you and I begin to think about it very carefully, we realize that the disciples probably had three three things that they could have done at that time. Number one, they can continue to forge forward in what God had told them to do, which was to go to the other side. Or they could turn around and do this. I can just turn around and allow the wind to push me back to where God brought me from. If they weren't careful, they can allow life's circumstances and life's pressures to make them decide, you know what? I know Jesus called me, but this isn't, this isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. They could turn their back and say, you know what? Why don't I just go back to where God where he brought me from. And then the last one is this. How some people think that we could just sit here. We could just, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to go back. I'm just going to stay right here. But I'm going to tell you, if we just say that we're just going to stay right here, what that will do is this. You're still going to be pushed back. Because life's winds is going to continue to push on you. And you're going to begin to drift back to where God either took you from a drift into a place where you just don't know where you're going. And I wanna tell somebody this, it was a pivotal storm that they had to watch out for in their lives. Young people, I'm gonna tell you, as you begin to embark on this next step in your life, you've gotta make a decision. You're not back at the beginning where, when you the day God gave you the Holy Ghost, but also at the same time, you are not at the ending, meaning you're not in heaven. God has not blown the trumpet, and you have not closed your eyes for your last breath. You are not back, how can I say, at the ending point. You and I have to make a decision on what we're going to do in the middle of our lives. I'm going to tell you, somebody in this place today, you and I are going to have to make a decision on what we are going to do with our lives. Yes, we're not back at the beginning and also at the same time heaven has not begun to open up and God has not raptured us out yet. And so even though it can be challenging in life and even though the winds can begin to blow, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to turn your back and go back to what God has delivered you from and freed you from? Or are you going to say, no matter what, I'm just going to push forward. I'm just going to row. I'm just going to keep fighting through the pain. Why? It's because God said go. He gave me a word to go to the other side. So what does that mean? You can stand up for a second. What does that mean is this, it doesn't matter what college you may go to, it doesn't matter what job you may get, they may ask you and say, why don't you work these hours and you miss the Sunday morning and then you miss a Wednesday, at some point you're going to have to make up in your mind and say, you know what, I'm just going to have to fight through this, I'm just going to have to row, I can't miss church, I can't miss out on the things of God, there's going to come a time in your life where if you're working or if you're going to college and somebody, some liberal professor is going to say, Say, you know what? You know what? God isn't real. Or you know what? This, this, this thing talking about intelligent design, it's not real. It, it, this God concept, this is lame and this is behind the top. Why don't you believe in the Big Bang Theory? Why don't you believe in all kinds of other things? At this point in your life, you're going to have to say this, you know, as for me, <laughs> in my house, as for me, I don't know about you, Mr. Professor, but I'm just going to keep on rowing. I'm just going to keep on fighting. You know why, Peter? Peter, you know why you got to keep on fighting? I'm going to tell you, because someday, Peter, I even though I know that you denied Christ, I know that you let Christ down in that moment. If you keep on pushing, if you keep on fighting through this storm, you're going to be able to stand in the storm when you stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the greatest message you've ever heard in your life. I'm going to tell you, John. John, you're going to have to keep rowing. Why? Because of this storm. If you can fight through this storm, John, then you're going to be able to fight and get to the point and stand at the cross and present your life to me and present your soul to me and be there at the cross. And you're going to be able to also at the same time when they boil you in oil and when they begin to bring mighty tribulations against you and you find yourself on an island of Patmos all by yourself because you've gotten through this storm, you'll be able to make it through the next door. So what does that mean, saints? You just gotta roll. You gotta roll. You gotta fight through it. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life. It doesn't matter the, how can I say, the political climate. It doesn't matter what's going on on your job and in your marriage. You can't give up now. You can't just let go now. You gotta keep on rowing. You've gotta keep on fighting. I know you haven't gotten the Holy Ghost yet, but I'm gonna tell you, it's a gift for you. You just gotta keep on going to the altar. You gotta keep on praying. You gotta keep on fasting. You gotta keep on... I'm gonna tell you, Pastor. Pastor, I know it's not popular the way that you've been preaching to us about about the disciplines in life and about the things of God. And I know that I've watched you watch other people fall away, your peers. But I'm gonna tell you, Pastor, you gotta keep on getting it, Pastor. The whole church is behind you. I know it's not popular. But, Pastor, you gotta keep rowing. You gotta keep rowing. You gotta keep fighting. Come on, church. We gotta keep rowing. We gotta keep fighting for our kids, for our young people. We can't give up now. I need somebody to lift your hand to God right now, and if it's appropriate, I want you to reach your hand over to the person right next to you and, and pray for them right now, because you don't know what they're going through right now in life. You don't know how long they've been toiling. You don't know how long they've been trying to do it on their own. You don't know how long they've been fighting. Jesus. Jesus, keep praying. Band, get in these places, please. You got to keep rolling. Maybe you've been coming to church for about a week. Maybe this is your first service and we can all stand. And you've heard about the things that have been going on in Calvary Tabernacle. You've been, you've heard about, you know, how people been touched and healed and their lives are being transformed and changed. And you know exactly what I'm talking about today. You've been doing this. You've been rowing, but it feels like you're rowing without an oar. You feel like maybe sometimes you may feel like you're drowning. You feel like you're just trying your best to swim and keep your head, keep your little family above water. Financially and even, even socially and even physically and spiritually. You've been you've been wrestling with sickness in your family. And you've just been trying to keep your family above water. And you just you've been fighting, and all of a sudden somebody invited you to come to this church. They've invited you to come to this church and And especially when you found out, it just seems like when you said yes in your heart and your mind, it really feels like this now. The storms are really coming down after you said yes in your spirit to come to this church. It just seems like the rain is really coming down and you're just like, you're just trying to fight and you're trying to get here to the house of God because you heard that if you can get to the house of God, maybe, just maybe God can fix a broken heart or a broken marriage or touch a life and you've just been struggling. I want to tell you, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Why? Stand back up there. When Jesus told the disciples, you can start playing. When Jesus told the disciples, he said, go to the other side and go to Bethesda. If you and I begin to look up, look it up. That word Bethesda means, it just means the house of mercy. You've been struggling in life for years. Maybe you've been in and out of rehab centers. Struggling and and just paddling. Maybe you've been struggling with drugs or alcohol. Maybe suicidal thoughts. Or maybe, just maybe, you've been struggling and you know you 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 used to go to a church like this and you felt God's presence a long time ago and your soul had just longed for heaven. And you're just like, I'm going to that church. But you've been fighting to get there. In the house... If they were to get to the other side, they would make it to the house of mercy. Today, I'm gonna tell you this as I close, you're in the right place today. You've been struggling and you've been fighting, but you made it to the house. You've made it to the house, and I'm gonna tell you, you didn't make it to the house on your own. (sighs) Going back to the story, Just when the disciples couldn't handle it anymore, that's when Jesus comes stepping down and he walked on the water or he walked on the very thing that gave the disciples problems. I want to tell you, you're in the right house today, but how you got here, you didn't get here by coincidence. You got here because the hand of God put on my shoulder. The hand of God was pushing you and leading you. He was calming some storms just to get you to this place. He was calming the storms to get you to this house. He was calming the storm for somebody in this place today to do what? So you can find a little bit of mercy in your life, a little bit of grace in your life. You're in the right place. And so today as I close, I wanna give you an invitation. An invitation to do what? an invitation to walk home. Not just leave Jesus here in the building, but to walk home and take Jesus with you. If that's you today, if you want Jesus to go home with you, why don't you raise your hand and close your eyes right now all over this place. If that's you, and you want God to go home with you to calm some storms, why don't you lift your voice? I need some seasoned saints right now. I need you to begin to intercede right now in the Holy Ghost. Come on, right now, all over this building right now, why don't you lift your voice, lift your voice. Come on, if that's you today, you're desperate and you're needing God and maybe you've been away from God for a long time and you've been finding some things, I want you right now to lift your voice and lift your hands and lift your heart up to God. Come on, why don't you call on His name right now in the name of Jesus. Come on.